Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast with me, your host, Danny Kennedy, and you're listening to episode number 30. Welcome back to this week's episode, guys, and today I'm actually going to be doing a Q&A. So I've done a couple of these so far in um, in the first 30 episodes, but uh, I thought I'd do another one. I kind of just keep track of the questions that I get over time, whether it's from clients or um, just random emails or Snapchats or whatever it might be. So today I thought I'd get through a few of them. I think I've got about 10 of them here, so I'll do my best to answer them. Keep in mind, this is my opinion. Um, but if you do have any questions or any more um, that you'd like me to throw on the show, be sure to send me an email at danny at dannykennedyfitness.com. Uh, makes for a pretty good episode, and I think a lot of people get a lot out of it. So first question is, how much fiber should you be having? So a general recommendation is 14 to 15 grams for every 1,000 calories consumed. So let's say, for example, you're consuming right on 2,000 calories, then you should be getting at least 30 grams of fiber or 28 grams of fiber. Um, this is a general guide. Um, if you go over that or slightly under that, it really it's, it really doesn't make too much of a difference, but always try and hit a minimum. So for me, if I'm taking in, let's again use an example of 3,000 this time, I'll try and get in at least 45 grams of, uh, of fiber per day just to make sure that I'm ticking the box um, if I go over it or slightly under it, I'm not too stressed. Um, it's all good. Second question, cycling pre-workouts. Um, so this is one I got a while ago. I've actually been asked it a few times and um, and the actual question itself is should you cycle pre-workouts or how long should you be using a pre-workout until you cycle it? So in my opinion, I tend to go through um, one tub of, uh, of pre-workout and at the end of that, I will try and cycle off it for one to two weeks or even sometimes up to a month, although I'm not cutting out uh, caffeine completely. I'm just cycling off a, a pre-workout supplement. Um, so, But if you know if you tend to find that you can still get the same effects from a pre-workout um, three months in com- uh, compared to what you were getting right at the start, then I guess there's really no need to cycle off it. The only reason I cycle off a pre-workout is to then be able to get that same effect when I do use it because I tend to find that the more I use a pre-workout, um, you know, the less effect I actually get. And that's the same as anything. The more you do something, uh, the less effect it's going to have on your body over time. So that's that's my recommendation. Once you finish a tub or whatever um, type of pre-workout you're using, if you are just using um, caffeine as your pre-workout, so it might be a coffee, a black coffee or something like that, then if you start to get to the point where you're not really feeling the effects of the caffeine before your workout, cycle off caffeine, um, you know, caffeine altogether. Uh, for one, two, three, um, four weeks if you need to, just to get back to the point where you're getting the um, the positive effects of caffeine before your workout. So you're feeling good, you're up and about, um, you go into the gym feeling like it's actually done something. You don't want to be using a supplement just for the sake of using it. Um, not only is it kind of counterproductive to what you're doing, but um, you, know, you, you begin to rely on it, but it, it can also just be a waste of money, especially for uh, pre-workout supplements. Next question, if you were to stop doing either squats or deadlifts um, because of lower back pain, which one would it be and why? Now, this is actually a um, a bit of an interesting one because it's something that I kind of went through, um, when was it? About halfway through last year. So I guess a typical answer would be deadlifts and that's what you would, you would automatically think straight away. Most people 
Uh, most people pair deadlifts with lower back pain or, you know, if someone does a back injury, most of the time your first guess is because of deadlifts. But in my opinion and the opinion of my myotherapist, it's actually the opposite. So when you think about doing a barbell squat, especially if you're building up to heavy weight, chances are you're going to be compressing your spine. So the weight is actually loading straight down your spine. So you're getting tightness through your lower back or maybe even through your T-spine, somewhere through your, through your back, then the chances are it's the weight that's compressing your spine, especially if you're not using your core muscles the way you should be or your squat technique is slightly off. Whereas with a deadlift, um, th- there is no weight actually going through your spine. You're not compressing your spine at all. Um, and in saying that, that doesn't mean that um, that deadlifting with bad form is good because it's not because the chances are if you're de- deadlifting with slightly slightly bad form, um, you know, the chances are of you injuring your back, your lower back especially, are very high. But if you're deadlifting properly and you're squatting properly, but you're still getting lower back pain, the first one I would remove would be the back squat. Next one, five exercises um, that you're not that will well. So the question I got was what are five exercises that most people probably aren't doing um, that they should be? So first one um, is a great exercise, and that is the barbell hip thrust. So for glutes, Um, As I've mentioned in heaps of episodes so far, the glutes are the powerhouse of the lower body and the barbell hip thrust has been shown to be one of the best exercises for glute activation and also strength if you can get to the point where you're doing them properly and really loading up the weight. Second one, barbell or kettlebell, dumbbell front squat I think is such a good exercise especially if you're struggling with your squat um you know going back to the to the previous question if you've got a sore lower back then maybe even switch to a front squat for a while to really work on your form to make sure you're using your core and then go back to a back squat which is what i did and i actually found that my back squat strength went through the roof um you know after six months of not even doing back back squats by really getting strong and perfecting the technique and the form of the front squat it allowed me to then back squat better so um, that second exercise there is front squats. Um, if you can build up to a barbell front squat, then great. Uh, I think this is really, really, really good exercise. Third one is a single arm kettlebell shoulder press. Now, it's a little bit hard to explain, I guess, without showing you, but uh, basically you're going to hold the kettlebell up the wrong way, so holding the handle with the bottom of the kettlebell facing the roof, and you're going to bring your elbow to about 45 degrees instead of having it straight out to the side like you would on a normal overhead press. Um, single arm, as I mentioned, you're squeezing your glutes and your abs, keeping your back nice and nice and straight and upright. You're not arching through the lower back. And you're going to press straight above your head like you would with a normal press, except when you come down, you want to keep your elbow in line with your shoulder. So your elbow is not going to go any lower than your shoulder. This is an exercise that I threw in when I had a sore shoulder. Um, I really couldn't do any pressing at all apart from this exercise, and I had got no pain. Uh, really activates all the muscles, stabilizes the muscles around the shoulder, gets everything to work um, as a unit, work as work properly, um, and I found it awesome for not only my shoulder health, um, but shoulder growth and strength. And I practically um, don't overhead press with anything but the kettlebell now. Uh, and I don't know whether I will go back to barbell or dumbbell overhead press because if I can continue to get stronger and continue to grow lean muscle with this exercise and no pain, then there's absolutely no reason to go back. Fourth one, now for some people this may be a staple in their programs, but I know that a lot of people are unfamiliar with the exercise and that is a sumo deadlift. Now, I changed from conventional to sumo probably about two years ago and uh, I suffered really bad back pain while I was doing conventional. 
Um, since then, I have gone back to conventionals, but with a lot better mobility and whatnot. But with the sumo, the stress on your lower back is is reduced by so much. The mechanics of, of your lower back and the actual mechanics of the lift allow you to stay in a position where you're, you, you know, you're not risking that, um, you're not risking too much, uh, I guess, rounding of the lower back because you're able to stay upright, keep your spine in a very neutral position and really use your legs. So that fourth exercise is a sumo deadlift. If you can really master this, um, I find it's an exercise that I can really increase the weight relatively quickly over time um, I can maintain good form even with really heavy weight and I don't pull up sore through the lower back I pull up sore in all the right places um, usually after a big sumo deadlift session my glutes are absolutely smashed the next day and that's how it should be so if you can manage to um, to master the sumo deadlift I would highly recommend it and last but definitely not least is the cable or theraband pull-off press now, again, this is a hard one to explain um, without getting to show you guys, but basically using a TheraBand, you're going to tie the TheraBand kind of at about chest height to a pole. Um, from there, you're going to grab the TheraBand with two hands uh, facing one way first, so you would do left and right. Grabbing the TheraBand and pulling it basically just below your sternum, so you want your hips and your chest facing straight ahead. TheraBand at your sternum with a slight bit of tension on the band already. From there, you're going to press your arms out as fast as you can to until both arms are straight right out in front of your chest and limit the movement of your chest and your hips. So using your core, um, using your glutes to really control um, the band because the band obviously wants to come back towards the pole um, and really putting an emphasis on the power as you press out to bring in that, that core stabilization and use the core muscles to hold your body straight. Um, I, found, I find this is a really, really, really good exercise to also supplement with your deadlifts and your squats and your overhead presses, uh, but also your running and jumping. So this is definitely a staple in my program now, and I, I've been doing a lot with clients lately and getting really good feedback, and I can see massive improvements with um, their core stability and also the strength of their glutes and being able to kind of control their body um, when they're when they're exerting force. Next question, I get sore knees uh, when lunging or squatting. What should I do? So firstly, uh, typically with sore knees when squatting um, or lunging, there's two main things. First thing is your knees are passing your toes when you squat or lunge. So your actual technique is not where it should be and, and mechanically you're doing the exercise wrong. So that's what's causing all the pressure and strain to go through the wrong places such as your knees and too much quad and lower back and whatnot. And that's what's causing the pain. So maybe a mechanical issue where you need to work on your form. Secondly, um, your ITBs, um, so your tibial band down the outside of your quad, is too tight and you need to start doing some form of myofascial release, um, whether that be going to see a myotherapist and getting a massage or whether it be using the foam roller, which I would obviously suggest first. It's a much, much cheaper option and something that you can maintain over time. Um, but those are the two main two areas um, where I see people uh, kind of end up with sore knees um, from the squats and lunges in particular. Um, with lunges, I find most people don't lunge far enough forward. Yeah, if it's a static lunge, their back foot's too close. If they're walking lunges, they're not lunging too uh, far enough forward. So when I do lunge down, the knee is actually passing the toes and that hot, the body weight is projecting straight through the front of the knee. Um, but also a lot of runners tend to get sore knees um, and that's just because their their ITBs are way too tight and they're not foam rolling or getting massages to release those areas. So 
that's definitely something that you could be working on to help prevent um, any knee pain. How do you stay motivated? Now, this is a hard question. Um, and, you know, people people kind of assume that I'm motivated all the time because, you know, I do the podcast, I do whatever, you know, like I do my work, my online coaching, I train, I always post photos and stuff of training, but it's not true. There are days, um, times, you know, even weeks where I'm just not motivated to train, but I do it. But, but what I find helps me is having a specific goal, um, short term and long term. On those days, weeks, um, you know, even hours, you know, it might be a couple of hours before a workout and I can't be bothered. I'll revisit my goals. Um, I'll kind of think about the reason why I'm doing it or what I want to achieve in the long term out of doing a session and ticking the boxes and hitting my macros and training and, <clears throat> excuse me, taking care of recovery and stuff every day. And that's what gets me through. That's what motivates me. But I also look to others for motivation, people that are where I want to be in life or in my training and lifting career or you know whatever it be whether it be business or you know just as a person somewhere I can take motivation from other people but I think it's important to not have to take motivation from other people because you cannot get to the point where you're relying on others to motivate you you need to be self-motivated and that's something that you can work on over time I believe but having a specific goal is extremely important for that motivation so set goals make sure they're specific have short-term long-term um, goals that you can revisit every single day. You should be revisiting your goals every day. And um, a great way to do that is make sure they're visible. So maybe write them down every day or have them written somewhere stuck up on your fridge or on your bedroom door, toilet door, whatever it is. Somewhere where you can revisit these goals every day to remind you why you're doing what you're doing and keep you motivated. All right, final few questions now. Uh, when using a keto diet, how long, how low should your calories be? So this is a question I got recently. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me again. Um, and again, the the answer to this question is your your calories should be at a point where you're in a slight calorie deficit, regardless of what diet or you know method or philosophy of nutrition you follow. You need to be in a slight calorie deficit. So there's no reason for your calories to be higher or lower than what they would be if you weren't following keto. So obviously the rules are different. You know, you're basically eliminating carbohydrates. Your fats and proteins are a lot higher. But in regards to your calorie intake, it should be exactly the same as if you are if you had um, carbohydrates still introduced to your diets or still in your diet, sorry. So no need to go crazy different um, with your calorie intake just because you're following keto or paleo or bloody gluten-free or whatever it is, um, your calorie intake remains the same. It's just the macronutrients that are changing around and I guess the uh, the method of how you're taking in, what, what macronutrients you're taking in, what quality of food you're taking in. Three tips to improve your running. So first thing is is improving your mobility and this is such a big thing with not only people um, you know, the everyday people that go to the gym just for just for fun and go for runs for a few few times a week or just to stay fit or whatever it might be, but also for athletes. I see so many athletes with really bad mobility that actually is just limiting their potential um, as an athlete, as, you know, they're running, they're jumping, um, their performance, whether it be team sport, individual sport, but mobility, so mobility through the hips, um, you know, the, the lower back, the ankles, all that type of stuff um, to allow you to run more efficiently. Number two, um, I think, is activate and strengthen your glutes and hamstrings, so your posterior chain in general. 
most people are very quad dominant, um, and that's because of having tight hips and slight anterior pelvic tilt, which is so common, uh, and don't give enough time to their glutes and hamstrings. So we tend to train the muscles that we can see, you know, chest, biceps, abs, quads, um, and neglect the muscles that we don't see. But the glutes are the powerhouse of your lower body, and if you don't have strong glutes, uh, but also hamstrings, you know, really important to have strong hamstrings as a runner or as an athlete or just as someone that wants to improve their running ability um so strengthen and activate your glutes and hamstrings is um another big one third one which is something that uh, you know and these are not the only three things that you can improve but these are three that i've found that have worked for me um and that is you know the one that's really worked for me is is increased cadence and reduced stride length so um, taking more steps but shorter steps. Um, I, th- I found I was overstriding, so that made me uh, my heel strike a lot more than what it should be. You want to be kind of landing on the um, the forefoot, the ball of your foot, and your body, your, your stride length, your stride should always kind of be below um, or behind your body because if you're stepping in front of your body, overstriding, you're slowing yourself down, um, you're, you're removing any momentum that you had already. Um, so reduce your your stride length and increase your cadence. So shorter steps more steps um, you'd think which would take more energy or or would feel harder but it actually makes running at a faster pace feel a lot easier Um, so they're my three tips for increasing or improving your running second last question um, why do people wear squat shoes so I use squat shoes probably 50% of the time when I'm training legs and for me it's because I've had an ankle reconstruction and mobility through my left ankle um, even though I still do a lot of mobility drills and stuff, it's still just not where it needs to be and it's not the same as the right side. So when I'm squatting, I tend to overcompensate by um, by shifting the weight of where my hips are um, when I'm squatting or deadlifting. Uh, and I just find that by wearing squat shoes, so for those that don't know, squat shoe has a, uh, a flat sole um, a flat sole of the shoe and an elevated heel. So it allows you, it almost eliminates the lack of mobility through your ankles. Um, but then it also takes away the fact, you know, you're wearing, if you're wearing runners in the gym to do um, squats and deadlifts, they're usually pretty cushioned. So you would think about trying to apply, apply as much force into the ground through your heels as you can. Um, your, your runners are absorbing half of that force and it's coming away from the potential of you to be able to lift a heavier weight by applying force into the ground. So with a flat sole on the um, on the squat shoe and elevated heel, I'm, I'm able to reduce or remove the lack of mobility through my ankle, but also feel like I'm more connected with the ground and apply more force straight into the ground, um, which allows me to feel like I'm a lot stronger, get more drive from the bottom of the squat or whatever it may be. Um, and, you know, the end result is lifting heavier, getting stronger and um, and also not getting injuries through my hips and lower back because I'm overcompensating because I'm taking that um, that variable away. Last question, what is the best fat burning zone? So you probably see on treadmills and bikes and all that type of crap in the gym um, that'll have a setting uh, fat burning zone or something along those lines or you would have you would have heard that the best uh, best heart rate zone to burn fat is kind of 60 to 70 percent I think it is. Uh, I think people say it is but you know, in my opinion, that is all bullshit. So, um, as I've as I've said in the past, your energy expenditure will determine your energy expenditure and your calorie intake is going to determine whether you lose fat or gain fat or maintain your body weight. You know, gain muscle, lose muscle, whatever it may be. So, 
Um, you know, if you're in the gym for an hour, but you're sitting in the, uh, you know, quote unquote fat burning zone, um, and you burn 500 calories, but then you go out and do interval training for 30 minutes and, um, your heart rate is through the roof and you burn 500 calories in that interval session, then you're no better off doing the, um, the cardio in that fat burning zone because you've still burnt 500 calories. 500 calories is 500 calories, no different. Um, so I think, you know, for some people that's more comfortable sitting in, um, you know, 60 to 70% of their max heart rate for an extended period of time. But myself, like, I would much rather work harder for a shorter period of time and get the same result. Uh, but there are certain days where I'd like to stick in the lower uh, percentage of my max heart rate to get the same result, but it just means I have to work longer. Um, so you really need to weigh up the options and weigh up what what works for you and um, what your preference is, but there is no such thing as a fat-burning zone, in my opinion. So that is all the questions wrapped up, guys. I hope you've enjoyed today's um, podcast. Let me know if you do like these Q&A-style podcasts, and I will do more of them. As I mentioned, I do keep a list of all the um, questions I get so for the purpose of these episodes and blog posts and whatnot. So um, if you haven't checked out my blog or my website, visit www.dannykennedyfitness.com. Uh, I do appreciate you guys checking out today's episode. Uh, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. Do leave a review if you've been enjoying them. Um, as I mentioned, send me an email if you've got any any ideas for an episode. Uh, I did mention last week that today was going to be a meditation episode. Um, I'm working on that. I'm just organizing a time that I can um, tee it up with the, the guest that's coming on the show. So it is coming. Um, again, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy your day. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, and uh, I'll chat to you next week.